Hi, I'm Ivan Berry, the announcer for Fulham, and you're listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Hello and welcome. This week we look back on Manchester Blues. So, so close to getting a really impressive point to the Etihad, but somehow we just knew what was going to happen. Can we hold our heads high? Are we cowardly? How useless is Vinicius? And why, oh why, oh why, is it a penalty to Kevin De Bruyne and not to Willian last week? And also, just to remember, ladies and gents, you can't spell Kevin De Bruyne without the word diver. We'll also take a look at our last game before the World Cup, Manchester United, and all other business. Lots to discuss, and with me to discuss it are Morgan Calton and Tom Greytrex, chair of the FST. I'm J-Mac, and this is Add Insult to Injury Time on the Fulham Focus podcast. Fulham. And just to say, because this pod's really interesting, just adding for the big bucks, you can actually get a quite a lot of good anagrams from Kevin De Bruyne. You can get buy kind revenue, buy drink venue, buy under Kevin. We've already had that. Den buyer Kevin, buy nuke driven, uh, buy knee driven. I, I digress, but this is this is really this is. Hot stuff, lads. Anyway, I'll go to you. I'll go to you first, Morgs. What were your thoughts on this uh, really disappointing game? It kind of feels like I don't know. The day after the game, it actually, for a change, instead of calming down, it felt like people got more annoyed. And now it seems like people are calming down again. Well, you got to give any football fan time to sort of uh, deflate after something like that. It's you know, are we talking about the performance or we talk about the dive? I mean, I, again, you know, could, there are so many bits in there to sort of look at. I think the performance, we gave ourselves a real, you know, we looked nervous at times, but I think we gave ourselves a bit of a, um, you know, a bit of a, is there such thing as a confidence boosting loss? Because, you know, you go to Man City and you expect to get turned over three, four, potentially five nil and come away with a two, one loss. doesn't seem that bad, but, you know, ultimately it was in the last minute. It was against 10 men and it hurts. But I think, you know, sort of the idea of it being a cowardly performance, I think that's completely wrong. You go to Man City, you have to be incredibly uh, disciplined in how you play. You don't go there and play an open game because you will get torn a new one. And even when they had a player sent off, they're not they're not the sort of team that sort of then has to shift their formation completely. They're really fluid in how they play. So they just adapt a bit. And I think even against a ten men Man City, you still have to play the same way. Um, unless you're say, you know, one of the, you know, so called big teams. And so I don't I don't think it was, you know, I yeah, we didn't go at them that much. And obviously we were trying to go on the counter, but they are incredibly well organized. There's no you know, there's no denying that. Even with ten men, they're going to be just as organised as they were with eleven men. Yeah, I mean, Tom, mate, welcome to the pub once again, man. I'm just quickly your thoughts on the game, and just if you agree with some of the really ridiculous sentiments on Talksport, etc., that we um, we should be ashamed of ourselves of not being able to get this sort of result against ten men. I mean, actually, do you know what? I would like to ask you. What I'm pretty confident that Man City could probably get into the top four with 10 men if they play with 10 men all season. I'm pretty sure of it, but I, I just want to know your thoughts generally. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a really fair point. I mean, <clears throat> if they've only got 10, they're a pretty good 10 to have, aren't they? And they'd match up against 11 of almost 
any other team. I think, look, to me, it just felt gutting, but that was because it wasn't because of the result, it was because of the way it happened. You know, a, a very sort of dubious penalty last minute, and then he almost saved it. All those things together mean that, you know, what could have been is much more is much more at the forefront of your minds than before. You know, nearly every other time in, in recent years we've gone to Man City, we've been well beaten. And the fact that we almost got a point, you know, if, if, they, if they'd... If they got that goal in the 83rd minute, then I think the feeling would be very different. It's the fact that it was, you know, literally, what was it, 90 seconds before the end of the game that, that it happened. And I think that's the thing that makes it feel, makes you feel a bit sick. And the fact that he knew exactly what he was doing. Yes, he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have made contact, but it was, it was, you know, fleeting contact and he, he went down. But that's, frankly, you know, on another day, our players would have done something probably pretty similar. So it's just, it's just the way of it, really. Can't I mean, be yeah. too disheartened. No, not maybe not. I mean, you made a good point of just how I kind of was saying to my mates that I, I kind of wish we just got stuffed like three 0 on the first half and just delayed the sort of false hope. It just felt like you know, oh god, we're going to think that we can actually do this, but there was just an underlying feeling that we just knew, especially on Twitter, etc., that Harlem was going to score an injury time winner. But just the way it happened, uh, Morgs, your 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 feelings about this tackle by Robinson. We're sort of skipping ahead of schedule here, but I think this is really what everyone's been talking about. I mean, there are different examples of how the law is interpreted at the moment, especially with VAR or lack thereof. And I'm just interested to know what you think if this is because I'm personally in the sort of frame that this is a dive, but also Robinson gave the referee a very easy decision to make. And it reminded me a bit of that challenge that Harry Wilson made in the championship last season. I can't remember who it was against, but just uh, just lost his head out of nowhere and almost bottled it. Not in terms of actually, you know, d- just sort of, just didn't ha- like made didn't need to make that sort of decision when you got Harris in front of him and just after just clearing a header. Yeah, I think Robinson, he, he did make contact with him. That's, you know, that is clear that he did. Uh, You know, De Bruyne, he went down and did an impression of a fish on the deck of a ship. I mean, it just, the way he flapped around and it's, you look at it and go, okay, yes, you felt contact on your ankle, but there was no need to go down like that. But at the same time, he knew he was going to get a foul out of it. And the way to make sure that you do get a foul out of it is by hitting the deck and making sure the referee sees what's happened. Uh, It's a shame that it happened like that. Had he just gone down, fair enough. Um, But I think it's because he made such a, you know, sort of a song and dance about it. Whereas, you know, you look at the the Willian um, tackle from the uh, Everton game and you wonder, how is that not a penalty? I mean, I I still look at that challenge and go, how was that not a penalty? What... Did uh, if the ref didn't see anything, what did the uh, what did VAR see? I mean, quite clearly, whoever the def- defender was made contact with him and was nowhere near the ball, and he didn't even make a big thing of it. He just went down. So whereas De Bruyne made this massive thing of it and was given a penalty and it wasn't overturned and probably rightly so, but it's it's again it's that word, isn't it? Inconsistency because it's the word that keeps coming up this season, and I'm sure last season as well. And we've got to, as a league, as the so-called biggest league in the world, we need to get a handle on that, because it is tearing the game apart, really. Because every week, they're not, we're not talking about the quality of football. 
we're not talking about sort of you know, some individual amazing performances because every week there is a VAR decision which grabs the headlines, uh, be it with the fans or Match of the Day or Sky Sports or whatever, and it's just it's just ruining it really. So unless they actually can work out how to take the subjectiveness out of these decisions, then you know VAR is going to continue to be an absolute farce. Is my thought on it? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, the, the reason that the De Bruyne one uh, was a penalty and the William one wasn't is because they were different referees, frankly. You know, you've referees are and, you know, they're different and they're human and they make different judgments. Uh, you know, in a, in a weird way, although it was a soft penalty, I think probably there's a good case you can make it was a penalty. He didn't have to go down in the way he did, uh, but you know, you, you feel contact, even the slightest of contact, you, you go down. I mean, last season we saw Harry Wilson do it again and again and again, sometimes successfully and sometimes not in terms of getting a penalty. And that's just part of the game. Um, in terms of VAR, look, I think in neither of those cases would you say it was a clear and obvious error. It was a judgment call from the referee about whether the contact was sufficient for it to be a penalty. And one gave them, one didn't. You know, I'd have loved it to have been the other way around that we got the penalty against Everton and they didn't get one on Saturday. But that's, you know, that's just how it is. And I can't get, frankly, too downheartened about it. It's, you know, for all the many years I've been watching football, we always moan about referees and referees being inconsistent. And they always will be because they're different people and they're human. And as gutting as it is to lose by that narrow margin against what is, you know, the probably the best team in Europe, um, it happened. And... The most important thing is, I think, that what we take from it, because I heard Marco Silva talking afterwards saying about how, you know, the team was down, etc., feeling down in the dressing room. I've just got to hope that that is something that they'll want to have a response to on Sunday, as opposed to feeling disheartened and, and downbeat carrying that into Sunday. I think that's the most important thing now. I think, I think what you're saying there about the referees and, you know, for, you know, since referees have been around, they've been, you know, the target of you know, dogs abuse pretty much, which, you know, a lot of it is good hearted, you know, sometimes as we've seen in the championship, often they deserve it. But in the Premier League, they can make these um, errors and they can, you know, get out of jail because the bloke in the broom cupboard is watching the screen and isn't subjective. You know, the letter of the law is um, applied to challenges. And De Bruyne's was a penalty. But subjective. But it shouldn't be. That's the, thing. That's the, whole, the whole point is that it shouldn't yeah. be. Really. But but VAR is subjective, really. But that's the you know, I think that's, that's the fault. It, with it, it can't it? ever be objective because it's actually it's a. They might be in a, you know, in a broom cupboard in, near Watford or wherever it is that Stockley Park is. But they're still a, they're still a human. It's still a referee making a judgment. Um, and although they've got different angles, looking at everything else, it's not it's not infallible, and it it can't be. There's no way you can do. That's my problem with VAR as a whole, and why I prefer actually not having it at all. You know, fine having the goal line technology and the technology that does determines offsides where it is absolutely objective but everything else i think i'd, I'd rather go with um with what we had last season and what we what we've been used to which is the referee on the field makes decisions and if they get it wrong they get it wrong mm. you know and they get marked for that rather than having a situation where there's sort of two layers of inconsistency which is what we've got to yeah, I think my problem is is not so much the the lack of VAR or, or necessarily the dive. It's it's actual the the rule of uh, penalties itself. I, I feel like if if a player has to make that 
that much of a song and dance for a touch, then it shouldn't really be a penalty, even though there is contact. I think it's the you know I think there's a lot of work to be done eventually at some point. But I mean, if it ever gets sorted out to please everyone, I really doubt. I mean, from one penalty to the other, we go back earlier, and obviously Cancelo was definitely a pen. I think we can all agree with that. Um, a bit of a cynical sort of challenge on him afterwards I mean I think it wasn't intentional but a stamp on him and but this is the thing so Cancelo goes off uh, Nathan Ake moves over a little bit and Rodri delves in and out of midfield and defence and it's almost as if nothing really changes they still had at least five in attack um, just passing around us I mean I feel like actually Morgs we looked I thought we looked quite. Oh, we we looked like we could have dealt with the situation just about all right. It was actually when Foden came on for Grealish and Harlan came on for Alvarez that actually I felt like potentially our heads dropped a bit and we just knew that this was like you know the the, the battering ram with trolls were about to come into the gate sort of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> just some sort of just throw some uh, was that Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones analogy in there? I don't know. Uh, don't don't ask me. It's fine. <laughs> um, the the thing with Haaland is you you prepare as a team to deal with him because he is so clinical and he may only have five touches in a game, but there's a good chance he'll score with four of them. So you have to be so wary of him and your game plan once he's on the pitch is all about stopping him. And sure, I mean, Foden's, uh, you know, he's a very creative player and he's, you know, arguably better than Grealish. And so you've got two sort of, you know, fresh sets of legs coming on, one of which you know that you can't let him have the ball because he will get away from you more than likely. And especially when you've got, you know, Tim Ream, you know, being an absolute legend this season. Um, but hitting him against Haaland, is, it's, uh, there's no contest there in terms of a foot race. Uh, Diop would give it a good go, but realistically, you've got to defend. <clears throat> excuse me, you've got to defend as a team against him. So there's no point changing your plan to then go, you know, highly attacking to try and, you know, get through these 10 men when you know that the big Norwegian bloke up front uh, could get the ball in an instant, put it in the back of the net. So I think we did well to stop him from scoring an open play. And the fact it took a you know last minute penalty, which he was clearly delighted about, uh, is actually sort of kudos to the team for, you know, doing what a lot of teams haven't been able to do yet. Yeah, but you say that. I mean, there was like an offside that he had, which is just, I mean, we're talking sort of like, a, you know, Rizzler paper thin sort of terms of like how offside that was. That, I mean, still I, offside. I personally Doesn't think... Matter, still offside. Still, yeah, it's still offside. <laughs> Love I mean, it felt like... We were very lucky. We were very lucky. I mean, I mean, even... I mean, even the way we played when you had the through ball to... Um, to Alvarez, um, you know, just the pace that Alvarez had completely just went beyond Tim Reed for that first goal, which is brilliant. I feel like we're going back to front here with our analysis. But um, Tom, have you got anything to add of just like, if there's anything you can criticise Marcus Silva for maybe not being punchy enough with taking advantage of 10 men or potentially some of the substitutions? Um, I, well, I, I think, and it's easy to say, isn't it, in hindsight, but I think I would have probably tried to make some changes a bit earlier. Um, right. than he did and I think that's um, but I'd, you know and I, I felt as though you know after we equalised we sort of still felt like we were, we were just waiting for the game to come to us a bit more than I mm. would have would have wanted to see now I know that we had our own issues with injuries and availability and everything else but even so I think I don't know you know it's easy for me to say now isn't it a few days after but if we'd if we'd gone for it, could we have actually got ahead? And then it might have been a last-minute penalty that was an equaliser. We got one point. 
you know, and rather than none, it possibly. Um, but, you know, overall, look, I've been to that place loads of times. And apart from the first two times when we actually won there, we used to have a really good record there before they, um, um, in, the, in the old days at, at that stadium when it first opened. But, you know, usually we're well beaten, absolutely thrashed. And we weren't absolutely thrashed on Saturday. So I think we should take that from it and take that as, a, as another positive to what an overall has been a pretty positive start to the season. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, I'm I'm just sort of, you know, I I was having a bit of a moan two days ago, and I just thought I feel like we shouldn't be losing. I mean, even though it is Man City, one of the best teams in the world, and you know, and all the points you make, I just felt like Morg said maybe we could have just brought on an extra, used our fifth substitution and brought on either Duffy or Tosin, and just. But then again, we were inviting pressure anyway, so maybe that just wouldn't have actually helped. I mean, I, I liked I liked the, the substitution of Harris. I thought that actually opened things up a bit. And made it interesting but yeah I, I don't know I, I want to know if you have any complaints about the tactics used there no I think you know we had a fairly uh, thin bench looking at it um, without having Bobby Reed and uh, Mitro and you know central uh, obviously Neeskins as well um, we was doing what we could really you know we were managing the game at that point I think come the idea of coming away from uh, the Etihad with a point regardless of whether they have 10 men or not, would have been incredibly enticing rather than sort of going for it and, you know, potentially getting zero points, um, you know, to make slightly more defensive substitutions. Um, obviously, Vinicius coming off, uh, you know, with Kearney coming on and all that. I mean, it's just... You've got to, you've got to trust Marco in this case. You know, he's made, you know, lots and lots of good calls over the last 18 months or however long it's been. And when you're playing against a team like that, sometimes you've just got to have a plan in place. And, but I mean, that's the thing. It's like you kind of, you look at the players that sort of uh, came off, you know, uh, Harry Wilson. Yeah. He's still getting back to full fitness. Dan James is a good replacement for him. Vinicius. I mean, we'll talk about him, I think, but you know, it's not exactly... A massive well, threat. Well, hold, the, hold, hold it, hold it, hold it there, because I mean that's the thing. So well, let's just quickly say who was good. I thought Diop was was a, a, a lot better again today. Really assured in the possession um, due to like with City's counter press. I thought um, Harry Wilson actually had a better game statistically. I, I thought he did quite well. Obviously, you know, got, won us the penalty. Vinicius. Now I will say that Vinicius did well for making that pass to Wilson prior to the penalty. But I, I would say also that Vinicius uh, this game was about as useful as a poppadom seatbelt. And just at one point, he... I mean, there was a point he made such a shit pass that he actually threw his gloves off in, in anger and frustration. And then one of the City defenders actually take off the gloves for him. It was just quite awkward. I, yeah, Vinicius, for me, is just not looking... I, mean, I think he lost he lost possession, I think, about 13 times? Possession lost 13 times, according to Sofa Score. I mean, I'd just like to know your thoughts on this, Tom, with Vinicius. I mean, he hasn't had the best amount of games to prove himself and starts and minutes, but just uh, hasn't really not holding the link-up play as well as Mitrovic in this case, and um, arguably one of the reasons we were so sh- shit in possession this game. Yeah, I mean, we, yes, absolutely. And look, you know, when we signed him, we were, tr- we, we were you've got to remember, we almost got Mo- Mopai you know, just before and it didn't, he went to Everton. He wasn't our first choice for a backup striker. He was who was available right towards the end of that that window. And that's, you know, what, what, what options do we have to get? And I've seen people saying, well, is he much better than Rodrigo Muniz? 
from what we've seen mm. so far, I wouldn't say hugely better. He looks a bit stronger, but then he's hardly played, has he? And he um, he hasn't he hasn't played that much football in the last year and a bit either. So that's one of the issues. He's not he's not fit. He's not used to it. Um, uh, but you know, you do feel that we are you know potentially in quite a serious situation if. We had a situation where Mitrovic was out for more than the odd game, I think, and that's a that's a real weakness. Don't know whether it's possible to address it in January or not, you know, because it depends what forward, forwards are available and on the market we could get, you know. But you know, if we had managed to sign uh, Neil Mopai or Ben Barrett and Diaz or you Wait. know any of the any of the others that we were, <laughs> Sorry, we were linked with <laughs> at various points over the over the summer, maybe, but we weren't. You know, that's who we've got. And we have to make the best of it in the short term. But no, he doesn't. He doesn't look to me as though he's going to be a legendary Fulham striker. I suspect he might be around this year and uh, be off somewhere next year. He does. He kind of. I do feel a bit sorry for him because he's, you know, in his earliest, you know, early in his career, he showed quite a lot of promise as a player. And you know, that's why Spurs spent a lot of money on him, um, which didn't work out for him either. But he's a very, you know, potentially could be quite a similar striker to Mitro. You know, say a similar build is kind of styles quite similar, but he's just say he's not fit. Yeah, he's not match. You know, he's not match fit. I'm sure he's fit and healthy, but he's sort of like, he's not sharp. But he's not going to get the game time in order to get mm. up to mm. sort of that level of sharpness that's required. Um, you know, something like you know in this uh, World Cup break when we've got that uh, the friendly against West Ham they've just announced. That's a good chance for him to get a sort of you know another ninety minutes yeah. under his belt. And he probably needs a couple of those, really. And hopefully, you know, if he does get some game time, he can be a bit more useful because at the moment he's basically a bit of a lump up front that isn't, you know, doing a huge amount, apart from, you know, that pass to Wilson, which is great. Um, but there's, yeah. there's clearly a talented player there. Um, but he just needs, uh, you know, he needs to get that sharpness, which uh, it's very hard to see how he'll get it whilst he's just coming off the pen- uh, bench for a few minutes each game. Although I think that you know the World Cup break coming up, I mean, if you're a player who isn't in a in a World Cup squad, it's almost like a pre-season, or it could be like a pre-season. So you know, you could, yeah, that's a, that's a very fair point to make that he didn't have that um, with the other players he's playing, and effectively you get a second chance at that this this year, and that may may mean that um, after Christmas, when he if he's back around, he may be able to see a bit more from him than we have so far. Yeah, I'd like that. I hope so. Uh, I just, um, at the moment, just not filling us all with massive confidence. There, there are times, I, I hear you say, Tom, that, you know, is Muniz, I mean, other people are raising this issue if, if Muniz is any better and Muniz is at the moment getting absolutely no luck with the Middlesbrough squad. I think that Jay Stansfield, for instance, I, I questioned the move, particularly to a League One club, in spite of its romanticism, but I... The fact that we put Dan James on for Vinicius and we seem to have a bit more luck with that sort of versatility and speed up there with a sort of false nine thing. I mean, I just, the way Stansfield played on the right wing in the game before he went on loan and just how actually he is a good alternative to Mitrovic makes me sometimes um, quite regret the, the, the move for him. But I mean, I think it is definitely. Yeah, I think, like you say, maybe in January we'll have to we'll have to look. There's around. also a very big difference between you know striker who has played a few games in the well handful of games in the Championship uh, yeah. to coming into the sort of Premier League, where you know I really hope that uh, Stansfield comes back and he you know gets this year under his belt. I mean he's doing very well for Exeter as well, um, which is which is great. 
so you know if he's getting that experience he's getting you know full games under his belt on a you know weekly basis and so I think you know I, I have no issue with him going there I think that's one of his places where he's gone to you know get the game time to be in a place where he is known um, and he's you know he's enjoying it and you know a player enjoying his football at that age can only be you know positive for his development so I think you know yeah. whilst he could be playing potentially at the championship level he might not be playing full games he might be sort of coming off the bench like that but at league one level he's still got to score goals and set goals up and it's not easy at that level you know this isn't the league one of the 90s it's not who from out the out the stadium kind of football it's actually proper football sure. now so i think it's i think it's a good place for him mm. and i mean last last part for instance we spoke if we're talking about one other criticism we spoke about is leno uh you know, surpassing Ariola as the, the next Schwarzer and all the sort of the hype around our fans towards him. And then we have this really disappointing moment where, you know, he, he just lets the, the ball just go under him for this penalty. I mean, looking at your faces and what you've said so far, I don't think that this is uh, something that we should be overly critical for. I mean, I, unless you personally feel like this is uh, something that to be worried about with Leno, Tom. No, I mean, I think the person will be most critical about that will probably be him himself, Leno himself, I think, because he probably feels like he should have got to it. And, he, and you know, it's a really weird one, wasn't it? It was almost as though it was hit so weakly that um, it sort of went under him. He sort of, it was a it was a strange almost save. And I think he probably felt he should have done better at it. But, you know, got to remember as well the saves he made during the game as well. And I think that quality of goal, we haven't had that for a, a very long time. And he's a really significant part of when you look at the games we've won and how many of them we've won by a single goal you know that he he you know he contributes i suspect you know a fair number of points by the end of the season the difference between you know being right at the bottom and, and mid table could well come down to his performances over the course of a season mm. yeah and yeah. I'll, I'll just go on Norm, uh, so i can't you can't be critical of a um, goalkeeper for a penalty it's you know it's a no lose situation for them um realistically unless you know he was standing right there and went straight between between his legs or something like that but it was just unfortunate really as you said it was uh it felt like a quite an under hit penalty when he was probably expecting him to sort of rifle it uh it went the wrong way it went the right way and it was just unfortunate that his body was arched in a particular way uh, it happens all in a split second you know in slow motion it looks a bit ridiculous but in real time that's going sort of relatively fast and if your body is you know the ball, ball uh, width off the ground. It's going under. It's just, it's yeah. just a shame it happened when it did. Well, from one penalty to another, really quickly. Just a nice, nice little positive, actually. Um, Andreas Pereira. He's a, it's a tidy penalty too, wouldn't it? I thought it was all right. Really, really, really self-assured. Like really good composure against Edison as well. Um, just maybe something to think on if uh, if Mitrovic misses any more time. Yeah, I mean. It- you know, Mitrovic's penalty record isn't brilliant, is it? Um, and yeah, as you say, um, I, I guess, you know, if Mitrovic is in the team, he would be the first choice penalty taker still. But uh, it's good to have at least one other player, you know, is um, is capable of doing it if he's not around. And maybe he could be, should be 
the first choice penalty taker because I thought that was a really excellent penalty that he's hit, you know, put it away really well. I mean, good luck getting the ball off Mitro. I mean, one guy tried that yeah, and he's ended yeah. up in Greece at a couple of clubs. So <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not recommended. <laughs> Banished, still Banished, yeah. I um, But look, before we actually, speak, speaking of Banished, actually, not quite Banished, I just want to give a little salute to Niskin Skibano because we haven't actually spoken about this since he recently had that really, really unfortunate injury. Um, Tom, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, in our WhatsApp group, there was tend to be the sort of vibe that this is a goodbye from him in terms of his career. And I'm not too sure if it's that extreme. But, I mean, having an uh, rupturing your Achilles like that at his age, and obviously he's quite a... He's definitely not a speed merchant. He's a technically brilliant player, and he's been brilliant this season. And look, you know, looked actually more than competent in this league. I just want to know your thoughts on, on Niskins and um, just... It's just a shame, isn't it? It's, it was, I think we all felt really sad when we heard the news a few days ago. It's, yeah, and it's an absolutely horrible injury. You know, it really is because it's, it's, there's not it's not one you recover from quickly. Um, and yeah, it's really cruel because I think he he's one of those players, and there's a few of them actually this season, but really surpassed my expectations in the first bit of this season. But him especially, and I think he's been brilliant this year and you know um, given that at the start of the season you're probably thinking of him as a squad player behind some of the signings and Solomon and uh, as well as Wilson and the fact that he's had his chance and he's been so good it's really must be massively gutting for him Um, uh, but I hope it's not the end of him at Fulham you know I suspect we probably won't see him again this season or if we do it'll be right at the very end of the tail end of the season possibly because the recovery time from doing your Achilles but um, you know I'd I'd like to hope we, we we get to see him, um, if not the end of the season, back next season and uh, showing us what he can do again. Well, hopefully they give him an extension of his contracts. I think it expires at the end of the year, doesn't it? Um, oh, really? Right. I think so. Um, I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but, you know, when someone has an injury of that nature, you know, it's it would be awful if he was to leave on a free, having not played again after that. Um, because he, I don't think we'll see him again the rest of the season. I mean, that's a, he's got, what, three months now on crutches at least. Um, if he has surgery on it, it'll be longer. And then the rehab on that is, you know, a few months as well. And to get up to speed, to be playing in the Premier League, again, when he'll be 31, essentially, he, uh, you know, I think he's going to need pre-season next year to get back up to uh, match fitness. Uh, which is a massive shame because, as you say, he's um, you know pleasantly surprised us all with how good he's been. And he's really stepped up. Uh, again, I've said it with a few players, it's all credit to you know Marco and his staff for making him believe that he can be that good because you know he, they've let the um, you know let him off his leash, let him do what he's good at, and he's he's shone. And it's been you know someone who like Neeskins who plays, you know it's a cliche, but plays with a smile on his face literally. It's just, it's great to see. And it's, you know, it is sad that we won't see that again this year uh, because he was um, complimenting our team beautifully for the much of the time. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he will get better. Hopefully it's not a career ender. And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll see him in the Fulham show again. Well, he seems also that he was a huge spine for, you know, 
the, the dressing room morale. I mean, like his his di- his video diaries of you know what goes on uh, behind the scenes were great. Yeah, so just Niskin Cabano, we absolutely salute you, and we can't wait to see you again, and we hope you mend well. Um, we'll quickly have a little peek at Manchester United on Sunday. Now they just lost. 3-1 to Aston Villa and you know some people are now saying well we didn't need that because now they're going to want to try and prove a point and <laughs> and now we're definitely going to lose but I I like to think there's actually an opportunity here to sort of get a point at least Tom I mean it's uh, it's the last game before the World Cup it would be nice to salvage something or other but it looks like they've got a couple of players I mean I think they've got Diego Dalot will be out for his suspension, who's their right back, who's been brilliant. Um, Anthony, their new Dutch winger, is not going to be playing, allegedly. But we've got a hell of a few suspensions and problems ourselves, haven't we? <laughs> I've just realised that from the last game, the amount of yellow cards we had. Yeah, I think it's um, Harrison Reed's out, isn't he? And um, uh, Kenny Tete as well. So Yeah, just um, came back as well. It's crazy. Yeah, so, you know, so, yeah, we'll have a thin squad and obviously yet to know whether. Mitrovic is going to be fit and uh, as well. So, um, yeah, I'm afraid I am in that camp where I thought, you know, the last thing we needed because was for Man United to play so badly on the, <laughs> at the weekend and lose three one because um, to Villa because they don't often have two bad results in a row. Um, when you look at them, yeah. you know they <laughs> they get one every now and again, but they you know they don't often have two bad ones in a row. And I I sort of got a horrible feeling, but. Um, it won't be our day on Sunday, but um, I hope I'm wrong. But uh, yeah, it doesn't doesn't. I'm not I'm not filled with optimism for it. I have to say, I think so. it would be quite. Yeah, sorry, Morgs, but it, it would be quite. I'll pass the question. It it would be quite um, us Fulham, wouldn't it? If uh, it, you know we were doing so well, and then suddenly um, we have this bad run of form just for the World Cup, wouldn't it? It just feels like it could go a bit pear. Well, except except you've got to remember, look, we, at the start of October, you looked at what you wanted to get from October on the basis of assuming that the first two, the two games in November before the World Cup, we were unlikely to get anything. That was the That's mindset. Right. And, you know, so if that does end up like that, we've still done in the first, it's not quite half, is it? But the first chunk of this season in this slightly weird season, I still think we've done pretty well and it wouldn't be anything to be downhearted, downhearted about. I just, I just don't see us getting anything on Sunday, unfortunately. I think the um, the fact that sort of two of their players that were out at the weekend, one was um, Jenden Sancho. He was out with an illness, so he'll likely be back. And the other one was Bruno Fernandes, who lets, you know, he's the engine room, really, of that team. And he was only out suspended. So he'll be raring to go uh, in his last game before the... Uh, before the World Cup as well, so it, they've got uh, they were missing players that were important to them. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Ronaldo plays again. Uh, he's you know he's not exactly setting the world alight for them, and but maybe he'll want to you know sign off before the World Cup with a, another good performance. And yeah, there's no denying that there's a decent player in that bloke. So, you, know, oh, who, who knows? God, you know what? I didn't even think about that. That could be his last game actually before Manchester United. Well, I guess he's got they've got a game on Boxing Day, but yeah, that could be sort of him. Oh, you're right. I could see. Yeah, I could really see something grim there. Remember, I mean, he's got a very good scoring record against Fulham going back to. Uh... I always it always felt to me he will he always seemed to score against them whenever we played Man United back in those days. Yeah, back in the olden days. Well, well going back to what you were saying, Tom, talking about, you know, strikers and stuff, Alexander Mitrovic, um, if he's back or not, I mean, is there a slight possibility that if he's got a slight ankle that he's protecting for the last game, 
is it? Do you reckon it's actually quite unlikely we'll see him in this game now? He, I mean, if you're if you're protecting a slight ankle injury and you are about to play for your beloved Serbia, who, who, who you're their man basically. Do, do you reckon there's actually a chance that he might just think I'm gonna, I'm I won't be seeing Fulham again until Boxing Day now? Um, I don't think so because I think he loves the opportunity to score goals. That's what whether it's club or country. So. I mean, yeah, you can sort of see, you might think, well, you want, don't want to get him suspended before uh, the Palace game, which might be more winnable. Um, yeah, he wants to, you know, be ready for the World Cup. But I, I don't think he's like that, actually. I think, you know, when he's not playing, it's because he's, cause he's uh, for, you know, with an injury, it's because he has a, actually has an injury and, he, and he's not able to play rather than any of that sort of tactical stuff. I think he just loves playing and loves scoring goals. So, um, and I think he'd want to actually go into the World Cup and, you know, playing against Man United, and if you score against Man United, that will be seen everywhere because it's against Man United, um, and that will be a boost ahead of the World Cup. So I think it's more likely that if he's fit, he'll be playing. Yeah, fair enough. Any thoughts on that, Morgs? I mean, I guess I mean you you, you trust in Mitrovic's uh, professionalism and you know hunger for goals to just you know score as many as he can for Fulham, despite you know protecting an injury in the World Cup, literally next door to the game. Yeah, and I think against Man City, it would have taken a lot to make him not play. Really, if he was just saying that, you know, it's not feeling right. Um, yeah, he's not that kind of player that shies away. I think looking at him, and we know him well, that uh, he doesn't mind a bit of pain. And he's not soft. He will he will take it and he will just play through it. But obviously last weekend was a good opportunity to rest him because, let's face it, we weren't going to Man City expecting to get anything from it. And if he wasn't sort of feeling right, then... Yep, rest him. Manu is a winnable game. I mean, let's you know they're not the Alex Ferguson Manu. They are, you know, the Manu of the last however long it's been, eight nine years. So I think we can go into it optimistic, or you know, at least with a sort of positive mindset. Uh, you know, considering how they played last weekend. But as you say, it's not often they lose two on the trot. Ten Hag's a very good manager, and he would be. Uh, I imagine he probably would have. You know burnt the dressing room down with some of his words after that game and so I think yeah. they're going to come out with a bit of fire in their belly and you know a couple of fresh players who weren't playing on Sunday and we've got to be up for the fight and we've shown this season that we are and as long as we have you know hopefully a, a decent sort of replacement i.e. not Shalibur for uh, Reed on <laughs> yes. Sunday and you know is Tete suspended or is he injured again? He's um he got another yellow. He's not injured. He came yeah. back from injury, then got a yellow card. So he's a, so he's not playing again for suspension. Yeah, yeah. Right, so we've got, uh, well, yeah. we have Bobby Reed back anyway. Because um, I thought Tete was brilliant in the last game. Actually, mm. he was another standout. I thought he dealt with Jack Grealish really well. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a it's annoying. Tell you what, really though, I don't know if you Pereira is going to be uh, Pereira is going to be up for it. You know, he's going to want to show them quite. You know, yeah. that he's not just a preseason Pirlo. He's a mm. it's true whole season Pereira. That doesn't work, does it? Well, I mean, there's no, there's definitely something to prove there for Pereira. It's just who you sort of put behind him in terms of you've got Paulinho and you can put Bobby Reed as a number eight with him, or you could it's obviously be Kenny, get. I mean, surely. Josh, it will be Kenny, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, Josh Onam has been on the bench a lot. He might get subbed on at some point. I think Chalaba's yeah, done, to be honest. Onam is quite ready for the uh, the turmoil of a you know Man U on a cold Sunday yeah, right. afternoon. Maybe so. Yeah, so it yeah. might come on for the last five minutes to shore things up when we're three 0 up. You know, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be starting him just yet. Well, ever. fair enough. Yeah. I'm just worried. I feel, you know, I feel like last game felt so impossible, and then we were gifted with a 
a red card and, a, and an equalising goal, and I just feel like now sort of our, our luck against Manchester teams is now going to fade. No, but we'll see. It's fine. We'll see. Don't worry about the geography. Anyway, it's the last game of the season. We'll have a last drink. Last game of the season. Oh, you know what I mean, before the World Cup. It's like half season. Last game of the half, half season. Time. Bigger pardon. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I'm going to move swiftly on. Um, Tom, mate, because of obviously being the chair of the FST, you've got a new, poll, um, a new poll out at the moment, a new survey. And I just wondered if you could just like to tell our listeners about what's going on with it and what's about and just how long we've got until we need to finish it. I think I did mine in about, I mean, just over five minutes. It took no time at all. It was a good... Yeah. Well, th- well, thanks. Firstly, thanks for doing it. Um, yeah, the, we... We have done for the last four or five years a survey once a year um, covering a range of different issues. Um, it's open to the whole of the Fulham fan base. You need to be a trust member to do it. We want to get as many as possible. The last couple of years, we've had more than 2,000, which is a pretty good sample size. Covers a range of different issues on uh, things like ticketing, pricing, uh, facilities at the ground, uh, what you want to see from the club, Very, a range of different issues. But as you say, it take about between five and 10 minutes to do. Um, the reason we're doing it now and the timing of it is because one of the issues is around ticket pricing and particularly season ticket pricing for next season and to be able to feed the information into the club uh, ahead of when they start to make decisions. Well, that's, that's why we're doing it now. So they've got it before sort of December because it's around about the turn of the year when they start looking at pricing models for the following season. So please do take the time to, to do it. Not very long. It's on the Fulham Supporters Trust website, which is fulhamsupporterstrust.com. Uh, you can, there's links via our Twitter account. Uh, on Sunday, if you're at the ground, we'll be handing out flyers with a QR code for it as well. So it's plenty of ways to do it. Um, and encourage all of your Fulham mates via WhatsApp groups, everybody else to do it, because the more responses we have, the bigger a sample size we have, the more credibility than the messages that we can take back to the club carry. Mm. There was plenty of opportunity as well to sort of talk about my my disdain for um, the Hammy End facilities, actually, which I enjoyed. Uh, well, I did enjoy doing it, but I mean, it was actually, but you know, hopefully that's something that can uh, be it's highlighted not, a little not, bit more. I mean, more. the facilities at the Hammy End—they're just like they're adding a few bits and pieces. The toilets, it's the toilets, it's the, toilets, the, toilets, the, it's the, it's the, the safety, space, the concourse. Yeah, that yeah. concourse is just like it is a bit of a death trap. You know, it's actually waiting to happen. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, you've got the entrance um, to the Riverside Stand now, which is separate, so people aren't flooding through there but it's still so cramped i mean i don't and i don't see how there's a way they deal with that anytime soon which is slightly worrying well you know it's an issue that's come up a number of times and we've we've done a walk around with them to sort of try and show them we'll be doing something again at half time hopefully to sort of see in real time um with the safety officer at this weekend about um uh, about the congestion it's interesting that um it's only at the hammersmith end that we've had a lot of a lot of people in touch about feeling that it just feels more crowded than it did before. Partly, I think that's to do with uh, the way into the Riverside stand and there's a bit of space lost there. Um, partly, though, it might also be that you've got to remember this, coming back into regular attendance at, at games after a period when there wasn't. I think they're probably also all a little bit more conscious about crowding and how close you are to other people psychologically than were before. But we haven't had similar sort of issues from the other end, you know, the Putney end or... Um, in the Johnny Haynes stance, there seems to be something there, and we'll try and uh, get some more of it. But it's it's an important factor of the survey, so yeah, please make sure you get your views known in that as well. And I'm just um, wondering when you sort of with these surveys, um, how much notice did the club take with them? Obviously, we've noticed in the past that they're a bit unilateral with some of the decision making, and it's sort of with something like this, 
you would, you know, in the olden days, you would expect that clubs would listen to their fans a lot more. But with this kind of with this ownership, is that the case as much? Have you found, or is it a little bit different? Well, it it, it depends on what it's about. Frankly, you know, there have been times when we have, um, we, you know, so uh, when we got relegated after the first season in the Premier League of the sort of current um, yo-yo um, uh, sequence, um, we were looking at pricing. Um, I think it was quite influential, actually, both in terms of the sample size, the number of people, and and what people said. Um, so uh, that helped to get, I think, a, a more reasonable pricing model at that for that season. So it can do. Um, the most important thing I would say is if you're the club and of your supporters and your supporter base and the people who buy season tickets and go to games um, match by match, you know, if you've got a good couple of thousand of them, that's a pretty strong sample size. It's better than the club can ever get mm. um, as well. And it's coming, you know, from the basis of uh, people who want to help to make sure that you're doing the best for your inverted commas customers. And that's something any club should value and the sensible clubs and the clever clubs and the um, diligent clubs do take do take pay attention to it and take advantage of that input. And that's something we hope we can persuade Fulham to do more of in the future. Is there a vibe that you're getting or maybe both of you are getting that season tickets might go up substantially next season or um, just generally interested to know your opinion on that because you talk about the pricing of season tickets in this survey and um, obviously ticket pricing has been um, very heatedly discussed all over the Fulham outlets at the moment. I just want to know what your your feelings are on that if, if that's, that's something that might happen. We've seen how they are selling out despite the increase of match day tickets. Is it something that potentially we'll see with the season tickets going up the longer I mean is this the price that we pay for potentially staying up yes yeah, uh, I mean it's a, it's a good point because uh, you know every other year it's been a year where we've either gone down or we've started you know we started in the lower division or we've just gone up and there's a link back to the prices so it'll be the first time that it's the second year probably you know I don't want to count any chickens but that or, or likely that we'll be in a situation where we're two a uh, following year in the same in the pre- in the top division again, but you've got to remember the other factor on this is that from by the latest the start of next season we will have the biggest capacity that we've ever had um, at Craven Cottage or certainly since um, since we've had seats in the ground um, and you know if you take away the away fans and the corporates etc probably need to sell about twenty six thousand home tickets um, across the ground which we haven't had to do or haven't been in a position to be able to do for a very long time. Um, so that also is a factor. Um, and it's why you ca- I think you can cater for those who will afford and are quite happy to pay significantly more for the most comfortable seats, the best views, but also make sure that you keep prices reasonable for you know, fans, uh, particularly behind the goals. And you know, Fulham season ticket, holds, season ticket prices have been pretty good for a number of years. And in fact, they've been excellent for kids prices as well we want to try and maintain that i think because that's how you grow your future fan base and that's something um depending on what people say in the survey you know we'll feed that information back but i suspect that's an area where you would hope that fulham would um would carry on with a similar sort of approach which is to keep season tickets uh, at a reasonable level um and to encourage more people to take them i guess the um the thing that we'd probably see is, uh, you know, the people who bought their season tickets, who renewed their season tickets from the championship, I think they paid an extra 50 quid or something like that, didn't they? Um, And those who bought their season tickets afterwards paid an extra 100 quid on top of that. Will 
the likelihood be that they freeze the prices of those season tickets from the new buyers and then raise the season ticket price for the ones who renewed, perhaps, to bring them in line, because otherwise you've got a bit of a mismatched uh, season yeah, ticket. Um, yeah, I mean, there's different ways you might do it. You might It might be that the... Um renewal price for everybody who's got a season ticket is slightly above the new price that people pay for the first time last year and then you have a renewal period and then after that um you know new season tickets have become available maybe slightly higher uh, slightly higher price i mean i think look it depends how many season tickets they will offer because technically this year we sold out season tickets yeah. they stopped selling it's not because we sold out of every seat but the number of season tickets as a proportion of the capacity was was capped. Um, what we've seen at other clubs, West Ham's a good example, is actually gradually they've been reducing the number of season tickets as, as a proportion of the overall capacity because, and it's particularly true in London, um, it, uh, the matched by match prices, and ours are pretty similar to West Ham's, are considerably higher. And they make a calculation that you want a certain amount of your season ticket base, but actually the bigger the rest of your capacity that isn't available to season tickets, the more you can sell those for. And if you're able to get close to selling out because you're doing all right and you're in London, so you've got a tourist market and people might come once or twice a season, might also spend more when they're there because they might you know, be more likely to go to the shop and spend a lot of money compared to someone who's going every game. You know, There's all those factors to take into account as well. It's not corporate at all, is it? <laughs> well, like, what you don't want to lose you don't want to lose what you know long-standing fans bring to it which is not just contributing to the atmosphere but loyalty to the club um and if you want it if you want it to be um a passionate and exciting uh environment and atmosphere then you're not going to be able to do that just on those people who can afford to pay the highest prices it just won't work and that's the most enough. important thing but we want we want to make sure that that is that view is informed by people's responses to the survey so please do if you haven't done it already get onto the Fulham Sports Trust website via our Twitter link fire the leaflets will be around on Sunday with a QR code and encourage all of your mates and others who are Fulham fans uh, to do it uh, the closing date is Monday at midnight so we've got this weekend and then Monday to get the results in nice one Tom that's perfect and um, look I don't want to drop a too sour note on this. It's just, it is news and we could do it for hours and talk about it for a long time. But obviously there's been this whole Titan gate um, situation with Fulham at the moment. And obviously that's been, Fulham have recently announced they've dropped the partnership. And Morgan, like a lot of things are screaming out to me here. It, it feels like they, well, mainly they've dropped this because they've now actually been caught on a very public scale in terms of news um and it was actually warned to them already and they acted like they they didn't give a toss and it's just it kind of stinks a bit i just want to know your thoughts and i'll go on to you tom uh my thoughts are it's a fucking shambles personally um Mm. i think they are blaming it on using a third party um sourcer or branding partner uh which is a very easy way of saying oh holding up our hands okay oh it wasn't our fault you know it's this is the kind of deal that sours a team's reputation quite badly. Um, you know, it wasn't like the football index um, fiasco that QPR and Forrest had, um, where it seemed like a sort of, you know, potentially a, it was a business that was running. It was bringing in income. It just turns out it was dodgy as all hell and they dropped it, you know, as soon as that came out. With this, it wasn't even a business. It was a Ponzi scheme. 
you know there were it was actors it was actors it was you know it was they were you know uh, putting pushing this business out to you know people in africa um and it was an absolute farce and the fact that we signed off on that um and whether it was the Khans or Ali Mack or if there's someone else within the um you know the senior level that signed that off there someone should be biting the bullet on that because that is ridiculous that we should even get into that position and i think you know the problem i see with this is that if anyone's going to you know fall on their sword it's probably going to be some junior who you know we don't even know because i think someone like ali mack probably wouldn't you know own up to having any you know sort of uh, any involvement or any sort of final decision on this because he's in his nice cushy job the khans aren't going to take the blame for it and obviously we don't want shahi khan walking away um and certainly tony god knows what he does now but i mean he's not walking away from it because of that and i just think it's they need to make a statement on it and i think it's a it's pretty deplorable really that we would actually as a one of these businesses, which is, you know, revenue of hundreds of millions of pounds a year, was able to either be fooled or just took the money knowing full well that it wasn't even a business and yeah. just sort of coast along as if nothing's happened because I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's disgusting personally. So I would like to see, you know, preferably Ali Mack making a statement um because as far as i can tell he, you know he doesn't do anything you know i've seen that he's involved in some of the uh supporters trust meetings i don't know how involved in the chat he is but he doesn't do anything he's not a spokesperson for the club in any way um and i just i don't know i get on my high horse a little bit about him um as much as i do about tony khan now that he's uh, disappeared into the um the wrestling uh backdrop but i think uh, you know tom you may have more of an insight on this but this is something that we shouldn't just let go because we've now dropped them after, you know, knowing full well that this business wasn't a business. Yeah, look, the thing that I think is most dispiriting and depressing about this is that Fulham knew this weeks ago. They knew it weeks ago because Martin Calladine had uncovered some of it. We, as a trust, in the last meeting with the club, had raised a lot of these issues. Now, what um, Nick... Um, uh, was able to uh, uncover for the mail on Sunday this weekend. It wasn't new. There was there's more to it. There was more, you know, absolutely able to establish um, the fact that the person who was described as the chief technology officer for Titan was actually a, an actor from Malaysia who's also in a in a punk band and happily admitted to to, to Nick when he spoke uh, yeah. to him that he'd um, that yeah he'd, he'd done it as an acting job um, and we didn't have that before, but we knew. And the club knew because we told them, um, and I suspect by then they, you know, they could read it as well as anybody else. That at least some of the people in their brochures weren't real; they were they were stock photographs. So all the red flags were there, but they took a decision and approach which was just to say, "Well, we don't comment on sponsorships and just hope it would all go away." Um, and that's the thing which I find most depressing about this. Now, look, the question here is: the level of due diligence is either not good enough or it wasn't done in this case. Either way, there was a failure. Um, that has to be rectified for the future. And the question that I think we as a fan base um, should be concerned about is 
whenever we read the the program notes of Shade Khan every periodically, talks about being a custodian, talks about the identity and the history and the heritage of the club and protecting it as an institution. The reputation of the club is sullied by being associated with what was, is, a pyramid scheme that uses Fulham to, and it's links to Fulham to justify to people that it isn't a scam because why would Fulham uh, have their name associated with anything that wasn't was it you know was in any way dodgy and that's exactly what it was and it was done either because you know targets and looking at trying to what revenue you could raise it looked like a good deal and they didn't bother checking or perhaps even more depressingly they checked and thought well it looks a bit dodgy but we'll just quietly take it and hope we get away with it neither of those is acceptable and it has to change for the future um uh because the reputation of the club should not be allowed to be um trashed in this way and that's frankly what has happened hmm. it seems to go hand in hand slightly with the um the w88 sponsorship doesn't it i mean the the questions behind that the legitimacy of you know of that gambling website and its connections and it's actually illegality in china for instance is all all really messy um yeah it, it's it's a real it's a real stain actually in my opinion it's a shame that it's 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 happened and i don't really know you know, hopefully we can actually learn from it, and um, I don't know. I don't know if heads will roll exactly for you know. It, it feels like there needs to be some sort of statement, doesn't there? Um, some well, sort of. Uh, we we have a meeting with Fulham uh, this week, and uh, I'll be uh, we'll be saying to to the club that they should they haven't actually announced that the partnership has ended. You know the right. the Mail on Sunday, <laughs> the Mail on Sunday in the article said that Fulham have told them it's been terminated. The branding has disappeared from the website, the Titan branding, but there hasn't actually been a statement from Fulham either to say that it's uh, that it's that it's been ended. We don't know um, whether they've returned any money um, uh, that they've taken or what's happened with that, um, and we don't know. More importantly than both of those points is that they have accepted there was. Uh, a serious error here and they've improved and will will review to improve their due diligence on any future potential partnerships. It's not arg- an argument about saying whether or not Fulham should have partnerships, commercial partnerships with companies that are ta- that whose target market isn't Fulham fans or is abroad. It's not about that. It's about reputation that comes from having partnerships with reputable businesses. And this absolutely wasn't. And it was pretty obvious with only a little bit of digging, that it wasn't, but they decided they would just carry on anyway. And that's something which can't be allowed to happen again. It really can't be allowed to happen again. No, that's not what film's about whatsoever. Well, look, guys, thank you very much, Tom, for joining us, and hopefully we'll get you on again soon. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, mate, and uh, good luck with the meetings and obviously with the survey results. And, Morg, thank you as ever for joining me on this very fine evening, mate. All right, cool. Um, I'm being very formal. Right, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Please tell your friends about us, and we're on all the social media outlets, and let's hope we can get to 20 points at least before the World Cup. Uh, see you soon. Fulham.